Well, let me uh, pray for us as we start off again. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is risen. Thank you that he reigns today. And thank you that he uh, has poured out his spirit uh, on us. Uh, please, would you work by that spirit uh, amongst us today. Amen. If someone was to ask you the question, who are you? How would you answer that question? It's not an easy question to answer, is it? So I might say, I'm Scott. And whilst names are really important, it doesn't really get to the, the heart of, of who I am, does it? Pretty high up on my list would be to say, I'm Ginger. <laughs> that's, that's part of who I am, part of my identity. Although it's fading, so I'm going to have an identity crisis sometime soon. Um, but yeah, high up there is Ginger. You might, you might talk about what you do. So I, I might say, I'm Scott and I'm an optician. You might um, talk about the, the significant relationships you have. I'm Scott, and I'm married to Cathy, and I've got three children. You might talk about your passions, the things that, you, um, that you're driven by in life. You might talk about your hobbies, the things you like to do in your spare time. You might talk about particular kind of characteristics or, or character traits that you have. As humans, we're, we're pretty complex things. And so to answer the question, who are you? Who am I? It's quite a difficult question to answer. <laughs> there you go. I said, to, I said to me, I know heckling from the front row, but you know, she can't help herself. <laughs> um, so, that's true of us as humans. But when you take that to God, who is God? The, the question becomes far more complex. It's a billion times more complex. He is infinite, and there are all sorts of incredible facets to who God is that we could never ex exhaust the question, who is God? But the place to, to go to start to kind of to gaze at those different facets is the Bible. And today, Easter Sunday, I want us to consider just one particular facet of that question, who is God? And that's this. God is the one who brings new life from death. God is the one who brings new life from death. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 4. And we're just going to be looking at one verse from there today. So Romans chapter 4, it's on page 1131, 1131 of the Church Bibles. Romans chapter 4. And it's just verse 17, so kind of, Three quarters of the way down the right column on page 1131, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Let me read that. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. That's God speaking to Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And here's the bit that we're looking at. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Did you hear that? Just listen to that, the last part of that verse again. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Isn't that an incredible way to describe who God is? The God who um, gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That's the story of Easter, isn't it? Jesus was dead, not just in a coma, not kind of on the brink of death and then, and then revived at the last moment. He was stone-cold dead, beyond hope of life. 
And from that, God brought life. On the one hand, it was the, the biggest twist in the story that the world has ever seen. And yet, on the other hand, the resurrection of Jesus, him coming back to life, shouldn't have come as a surprise. God, from the very beginning, has been someone who gives life to the dead, who calls into being things that are not. And that's what he's still about today in our lives. Let's just dig a little bit deeper into this. What I want to do is I want us to just briefly take us through the Bible to see how we see that this is true of God throughout the Bible. Because this is who God has been right from the very beginning. Remember those very first pages of the Bible? Nothing existed. But with his words, God created the universe from nothing. He made light, he made the sky, the sea, the land. He made plants and animals. He made stars and planets, all from nothing. God is the one who calls into being things that were not. He brings life from non-life. Listen to these words from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says this, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So we have this aspect right at the beginning, but it doesn't stop there. This idea that God is the one who brings life from death, who brings things into being, things that were not, didn't stop at creation. Let's just go kind of halfway through the book of Genesis, forward a few hundred years or however long it was. Um, the verse that we're looking at in Romans 4, and the context of that verse in Romans is it comes in a discussion about Abraham. Now, Abraham, if you don't know, he is the great forefather of the Jewish people, of, of the nation of Israel. He is the one from whom they're all descended. Um, he's the ancestor of them all. And God appeared to him one night. He was sat outside uh, beneath a, a starry sky. These were, this was days where there was no light pollution, so the, he could see millions and millions of stars in the sky, more than we could dream of counting. It was an incredible sight for Abraham. And while he was there, God said this to him. He said to Abraham, from you and from your descendants will come a nation, a nation that is so vast that it's more than all the scar stars in the sky more than you can count. But if you know his story, you'll know that there was one glaring problem with that promise coming true. The problem was that Abraham was a really old man and he was married to a really old woman and they were infertile. They'd never been able to have children. They were childless. There was no hope of this promise ever coming true except for the fact that God is the one who calls into being things that were not. He's the one who gives life to the dead. And that's what God did. Miraculously, this old, infertile couple had a son. God is the one who gives life to the dead, who, who calls into being things that were not. Let's look at one more example from the Old Testament. We're going to uh, fast forward a, a, a few hundred years in the history of God's people now. Now, God's people had grown. Just like God had promised to Abraham, they'd become a great nation. They'd settled in a land in Israel. But as they grew, and as they were in that land, they disobeyed God. They, they turned their back on him. They kept on disobeying him. 
Eventually, this one nation that God had formed divided. They split into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Fast forward a little bit more time, and uh, a superpower, one of the world superpowers of the day comes, the Assyrians. They invade Israel. They take the people into slavery. They carry them off. And basically, that's the last you hear of those people in the Bible. So what you have left is this small little kingdom in, in the south, Judah. Um, and as time goes on, they too disobey God. They too continue to turn their back on God. And eventually they're judged too. Another superpower, Babylon, comes. They in, invade the people. They occupy the land. They carry the best and the brightest of them off to be slaves in Babylon. There's nothing left. They're defeated, they're scattered. It's completely hopeless for them. Hopeless, that is, if you forget that God is the one who brings life from death, who brings things into being from things that were not. And so God raises up a man amongst the people called Ezekiel. He's a a prophet, which means he was sent by God to be God's mouthpiece, to give messages from God to his people. And God gives him a vision that he wants the people to hear. The vision shows the people what God's plan is for them. Turn with me to um, Ezekiel chapter 37. And we'll read that vision. If you find it, let me know. Oh, there it is. I found Ezekiel. (laughs) Ezekiel chapter 37. We're on page... 868, if you've got a church Bible. So I'll read this out. So Ezekiel chapter 37 from verse 1, I'll read this. Remember, this is God speaking to the people through Ezekiel, his plans for them. But it's in the form of a vision. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sent me in the middle of a valley It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he, as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And here's the important bit, verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live 
and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. The, the people were as good as dead, invaded, carried off, hopeless, scattered, enslaved. But God promised through Ezekiel that they would be given life. God is the God who brings life from death, who brings things into being from things that were not. This is who God is. It was the pattern throughout the Old Testament. And when we fast forward to the New Testament, we see that, that he is the same God. There's another situation which seems even more hopeless than what we've already heard about. God the Son, Jesus, comes to earth. He performs uh, incredible signs that, that point to who he is. God with us, the longed-for prophet, the one who is going to be the bread of life and satisfy the spiritual hunger of the people. He promises to be the one who can forgive sins, to be the one who is the king that the people truly need, the one who will bring about transformation, just like he turned water into wine. And then, after promising all those things, in a seemingly tragic turn of events, he's arrested, tried, and unjustly killed in the most brutal, brutal way that you can imagine. His death feels like defeat. It feels like the end. It feels hopeless. But what happened next on that first Easter Sunday should have come as no surprise. The God who brings life from death, the God who brings into being things that are not, raised Jesus from the dead. And so, when we answer the question, who is God? There are lots of answers, but a hugely significant one is this in Romans 4:17. He is the one who brings life from death, who brings things into being from things that were not. Now let's just connect those dots further and join them up. Uh, through history here into 21st century Hartlepool, into our lives today. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that God is the one who brings life from death? What does it mean for you? What difference does it make to your life that that is what God is like? I want us to uh, briefly just see four quick things that this means for our life. And, and um, I've gone all corny, so we remember it, and they all begin with the letter P, so hopefully you'll remember them all. So we're going to see a new possibility for life, a new perspective for life, a new pattern for life, and a new power for life. So first up, a new possibility for life. Now, when the Bible describes humanity, as well as talking about all the inherent dignity and honor that we have as, as people who are made in the image of God, it also exposes some things that are hard for us to hear. Let me take, take you to one example of that. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, page 1171 in the church Bibles. And let me read Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1, so page 1171, uh, 1173, sorry. It says this, As for you, 
you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We have squandered the immense privileges and opportunities that we have being made in the image of God. We've turned our back on God. We've turned our back, therefore, on the source of life. And so we are spiritually dead. That's what those verses are saying. It's, not, it, it's really strong language. It's not saying that we're kind of spiritually, mortally wounded, but if we try hard enough, we'll come back to life. It's not saying that we're spiritually sick. Same we're dead, beyond any hope of doing anything about it ourselves, because we're dead, and dead people can't do things. We're cut off from God. And yet, God is the one who brings new life from death. He did that for Jesus, and in doing so, he paved the way for doing that for us too. Read on with me from those verses in Ephesians. I'll read from verse 4. So he's just described how we are spiritually dead, and then he says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God can bring life out of our spiritual death. And that's not something that we earn. It's not something that we deserve. It comes to us by grace. Now, what is grace? Imagine you're in a car um, and you come to a, a, a T-junction and you, and you pull up and you realize it's a really busy road and you think, oh, this will be an hour. And, and you sit there watching the traffic go by and you feel yourself slowly dying inside, thinking I'm never going to get out of this. And then... Someone slows down. They, they flash you, and out you go, and you're off on your journey. That's grace. <laughs> they didn't kind of interview you, see whether you were worth kind of being let out. They didn't kind of check your record, seeing if you've done it for other people. They just let you out. They knew nothing about you. Uh, they didn't know of anything good in you, and they let you out. That's grace. Now, take that, multiply it by a billion, <laughs> and you'll kind of begin to scratch the surface of what God has done for us. We rejected God. Despite all he's given us, we rejected him and were spiritually dead, cut off from him. But in his grace, he has given us the possibility of life. Not because we deserved it, not because he looked at us and thought, oh, on balance, they're decent people, I'll give them life. No, we were dead. And like the, the man coming up to that junction extended grace to us as we were waiting. So God looks at us, not because of anything we deserve, and he offers us life. In his grace, he has given us the possibility for life. And so I have to ask the question, have you taken hold of that possibility? God wants to know you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to forgive you and bring you into life from death but he won't force it on you. 
He holds out that offer of life to you today. And to accept it, you simply need to pray to him. To say to him, I realize I've rejected you. I know I deserve your anger. But thank you that because of Jesus' death in my place, I can receive life. I'm sorry for rejecting you. Please forgive me and give me life. And when you do that, he forgives you. He brings you over from death to life. God is the one who, who gives life to the dead, who calls into being things that were not. And because of that, you and me, who are undeserving, have the possibility for life. That's the first thing we see. Second thing is this. He gives us a new perspective for life. If you're a Christian here today, you have already been raised to life. Okay, so you might not feel that. You might feel aches and pains, and you might be very aware that your body is, is, is failing and that one day you'll physically die. We await the day when we'll be raised to physical life, but the Bible says that spiritual life, if you're a Christian, has already happened. It's yours. You have that new life. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Um, I'll just turn that to me. Colossians 3, verse 1, page 1184, if you want to turn there. He says this. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Did you notice that that was a past tense thing? Since you have been raised to life, if you're a Christian here today, that is your truth. What's true of Jesus is true of you, because you've been united to him. So his death is your death, and his life is your life. God is the one who gives life to the dead. He did that for Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. If you're united to Jesus through faith, then you are alive too. What's true of him is true of you today. You are spiritually alive. And one day you have the hope of being physically alive with him in the new creation. And here's the thing. Knowing that changes everything. Knowing that changes everything. Because you've been raised to life, Paul says, set your heart on things above. We have a whole new perspective on life. Some of you might know the story of the, the Ten Booms. Corrie Ten Boom wrote a book, The Hiding Place. If you've not read it, I'd really recommend it. It's a brilliant book. Um, the Ten Booms, um, they were a Jewish Christian family living during World War II in Holland. Um, tragically, uh, two of the sisters in that family end up in a Nazi concentration camp. Now, as you can imagine, if you know anything about concentration camps, it was horrendous. Conditions were horrendous. Thousands around them are being killed. They are abused by the guards. They are starving. Some of them starving to death. Their beds are, are riddled with fleas. It's, it's a horrific situation that they're in. But through all of the horrors they endure, their faith in Jesus transforms the way they see the situation around them. At one point, uh, one of the sisters, Betsy, says this. In the middle of the concentration camp, she says this. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. 
There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Imagine being able to cling to that perspective in the middle of a concentration camp. They could do that because they knew that God is the God who gives life to the dead. They knew that even if this ended in death for them, God's love for them would go beyond their death and give them new life in the new creation, in a perfect world with him. They were raised with Christ, and so they set their minds on things above. You see, when we see that God is the God who gives life to the dead, it changes our perspective on life. It changes the way we see the world. It changes what we live for. It changes what we hope for in life. Let me uh, use a, a parenting analogy for a minute. When you have a baby, it changes everything. Everything you do, every decision you make is coloured by the fact that you have this baby to care for. You, you, you're thinking about what holiday to go on. Well, that is affected by the fact that you've got a baby to take along with you. You think about what you want to do with your evening. The fact that you have a baby radically changes that. You think about what you're going to do with your free time. And you realise that you don't really have any free time anymore because you've got a baby. Having a baby changes your perspective on life. Well, if that's true of having a baby, it's even more true of becoming a Christian. When the God who gives life to the dead gives you life, you see everything through a different lens. Your perspective on life changes. The way you view your work, your relationships, your free time, your comfort, your money, your dreams, everything is changed by the, the new perspective that your new spiritual life brings. Let me keep reading from uh, Colossians 3. Um, I'll read verse 1 again, and then I'll just read a few verses after it as well to see how this kind of works itself out, this new perspective. It says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Here's how uh, one writer puts it. says this, Being raised with Christ should change our perspective. We need to see reality in the light of where we are now. Things are different in resurrection life. We are not where we were, and we need to keep up with that. We need to set our hearts and minds on things above. It'll take some determination on our part. The new perspective doesn't just happen. We need resolve. I have been raised with Christ and I need to keep that in my consciousness. I need to have the concerns and the mindset of a spiritually raised person. You have been raised to Christ, says Paul. Raised with Christ, says Paul. You can't just stick that in your back pocket and get back to business as usual. Put your heart and mind to work. Think like a risen person. What are the new concerns going to be? The new priorities? God is the God who gives life to the dead and who calls things into being from things that are not. He did that for Jesus, and because of that, he gives us a new possibility for life, even when we were spiritually dead. And when we accept that, when we are raised with Jesus, it gives us a new perspective on life. We, we see life differently. We set our minds on things above. And so that leads us to our third point. It gives us a new pattern for life. 
Let me uh, read on in, in Colossians 3. Um, beginning of verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And I'm going to skip down to verse 8. Now you must also rid yourself of, of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Did you notice the word therefore at the beginning there in verse 5? Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, because we've been raised with Christ and because we have a new perspective on life, therefore, our pattern of life will change. Our lives will look different because, because of the God who gives life to the dead. Let me take you back to that um, concentration camp with the ten booms. We've seen how even in the middle of that dark place, they were able to have a different perspective. Well, that changed perspective that they had le led to a changed pattern for them. It changed how they lived in the middle of that concentration camp. Despite the, the brutal conditions that they faced, despite the temptation to look after number one, because let's face it, life and death was literally on the line every day for them. Despite that, they went out of their way to encourage and to help other people, even at great risk to themselves. They managed to get hold of a, a smuggled Bible, and they spent their time encouraging other Christians, getting alongside them, sharing the good news of Jesus, even in the darkest of places, at great risk to themselves. They, they led many people to Jesus. Now, that's an extreme example, isn't it? None of us are facing such hardship as that. But whatever hardship or opposition or struggle that you're facing right now, whatever it is, is real and hard and we feel it deeply. And, and what it can do is it can give us kind of, it can cause us to turn in on ourselves. But when we have, uh, when we allow ourselves to, to see God again, when we allow ourselves to, to see the God who gives life to the dead, and when we allow that to change our perspective on our lives, then that leads to a radically different way of life in the midst of whatever we're going through, just like the ten booms. In Paul's language, it means that we put to death those things in life that were symptoms of our spiritual death, that those kind of destructive, harmful, selfish things that marked our spiritual death are no longer fitting for us if we are spiritually alive, if we're united to Jesus. Because of the resurrection, because God has given us new life, we have a new pattern for life. Resurrection means that things have to go. We no longer live for others' approval. And so we don't join in when we know that something's not right. We, we no longer live for satisfaction through accumulating more and more stuff and making our lives as comfortable as we can. And so we put to death greed. We no longer see the things of this earth as the ultimate thing because we have our sights set on, on the new creation. And so we pursue the glory of God instead and we, we pursue the growth of his kingdom. We've been raised with Christ. Our perspective on life has changed. And so our pattern of life has changed. We put off the old things and we put on the life of Christ that is ours. We become more like him. 
pursuing patterns of self-giving generosity, of, of living for the good of others and not the approval of others, of, of celebrating the relationship that we have with God as Father. And so I need to ask you the question today, what does that look like for you right now? How are you responding to the troubles that you face in life? What are you putting off from the old life? And how are you pursuing the new life that he's won for you? Just finally, um, all of that is possible. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? But it's all possible because, fourthly, we have a new power for life. It may sound like um, a lot of hard work, this kind of new life thing. But here's the thing. That word uh, grace that we thought about earlier. God chose to give us our new life initially um, because of his grace. It was a free gift because God saw us at the T-junction and, and not because of anything in us, because of the kindness in him. He chose to extend his kindness to us and give us life. Well, once we've received this new life, his attitude towards us doesn't suddenly change. He doesn't kind of come out from behind the mask and show what he's really like and start cracking the whip and getting us to kind of live this new life and and, and being grumpy and, and, and mad with us and demanding. The way in is grace and the way on is grace too. And here's what that means. It means that the new perspective and the new pattern for life that he calls us to isn't simply down to us. It's not a roll up your sleeves and get stuck in job. We don't do it alone. The God who gives life to the dead is the God who gives us his spirit, the spirit of life, who gives us the power to live out the new life that he's called us to. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. Did you notice that same language again from Romans 4 that we've been seeing? The God who brings life to the dead. When he gives us life, he also gives us his life-giving spirit. And so that means that as we seek to live out the new life that he's called us to, we do it in the Spirit's power. We don't do it alone. We do it all by the Spirit. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, as we saw in that verse from Michael earlier, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is working in us to to put to death those things that belong to our old nature so that we can press into the new life that God has for us. That's how it was possible for the 10 booms to do it in their concentration camp. That's how it's possible in your life too, because of the spirit and work in us. Let me wrap this up. Who is God? He is the God who gives life to the dead and who calls into being things that were not. And so who are we? Well, because that's who God is, we are people who have been given a new possibility for life. And when we receive that, that brings a new perspective and a new pattern for life. And all that is done with our new power for life, the Holy Spirit. I want us to just take a moment to reflect on this. Uh, let's just have a, a minute or two silence and, and, uh, to try and take some of this in. Because there's, there's a lot to think about. Jesus is risen. 